0: Hello friends, thanks for tuning in to Peak Earth, I'm Case Bradford, this episode is with Noah Ryan. We discuss various ways to biohack or bioharness biology, how traveling and living a nomadic lifestyle sparks the brain and ignites the mind, we discuss building skills versus following a passion, the health of our human family, making health education approachable, Impactful and much, much more. I appreciate everyone who has left a five-star review on Apple or Spotify, shared an episode on social media. Those were all very meaningful for me. I'm grateful for everyone who is tuning in to listen. Thank you. Hope you enjoy.
1: Yeah, so I'm in Mexico City right now. I've been in Mexico for the majority of this year. Um, I was only planning on staying in Mexico City for a month, but I think with traveling, you know, the big thing, it's you make a lot of acquaintances, but not a lot of friends. And like, you kind of miss that community aspect. So I found kind of building a community here in Mexico City uh, makes me always come back. I'm not a city guy personally. I'd much rather be on the beach, but um, yeah, yeah. i made a bunch of good friends here and just like great network.
0: Awesome. How long, how long have you been there?
1: I've been here for this time around two months. Um, I spent a little bit of time in Belize. I actually went back to the States for like three weeks uh, to Florida, so that was pretty interesting. But um, yeah, I've been here two months. I've been traveling a lot since I've been here. I kind of just like got here, put my stuff down, got an apartment, and then I've just been hopping around. Um, There's so many places near Mexico City. You know, like, Valle de Bravo, San Miguel de Allende, um, Acapulco is only like four hours away, uh, to Pozlan is really cool. So, been hopping around a lot. Um, but yeah, I got here in, I wanna say August? Yeah, August, beginning of August.
0: Nice. I've never been down to Mexico at all. I'm, I'm curious what Mexico City is, is actually like. It's great,
1: man. I think the perception of Mexico City is like, oh, it's dirty, it's dangerous. I have not found that to be the case. Granted, it's also the largest city in North America. So obviously there's gonna be places that are dirty and there's gonna be places that are dangerous, but it's a big city, man. It's a fucking giant city at like 7,700 feet of elevation. So it's like one of the highest cities ever. You know, I used to live in Denver and it's like significantly t- like higher than that. It's in a valley, it's like a very unique city. Um, very green though, you know, trees everywhere. You can see like in the background, that's a street and there's just trees encompassing the entire canopy. There's, you know, a giant park. It's called like uh, Chapultepec and they call it like the forest of Chapultepec. It's the largest park within the city center. So very green unexpectedly. Um, and I, I love it, man. Like I like I said, I'm not a city guy, but I love Mexico City.
0: That sounds awesome. Nothing like what I was imagining. Yeah, it's funny. It has a perception of being like dirty and dangerous, but it's actually lush and sprawling. It sounds like it's a, a vibrant city.
1: Yeah, don't get me wrong. There are dirty and dangerous places, but um, <laughs> that's like every city, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. I like mean, that. like I feel more
1: comfortable walking downtown Mexico City at night than I did, you know, in Denver or when I lived in Minneapolis. Like, I feel more comfortable here, so I think that's a testament to kind of like what it's like here.
0: Yeah, it, it's kind of funny coming. Um, I'm in Los Angeles, and this place has a perception of being like glamorous, you know. But in reality, it's it's probably dirtier and more dangerous than Mexico City, I'd imagine. Yeah,
1: a hundred percent, dude. A hundred percent. L.A. Everyone here thinks L.A. is like the mecca too. Everyone's like, oh, I want to go to the United States. Like, I want to visit L.A. I want to visit Hollywood. I'm like really don't <laughs> I like, like personally I don't think you'd like it that much but um to each their own I know there are some pretty cool things about la yeah
0: there's there's like uh, the the section near the coast is, is like West Los Angeles I don't really leave there much at all um not that I'm too like it, I, I feel weird saying that as if I'm like too good for the you know downtown and east side area but it's like not that it's just like why would I why would I leave it's just great like I want to be near the ocean I want to be near the coast it gets you know really hot as, as you go east and that's like uh that's kind of that's it that's all there is to it it's uh pretty simple for me
1: yeah from what i've seen it looks like you live on venice beach so <laughs> looks like you're a little bit of a celebrity there
0: i'm a couple miles couple miles uh away at, at this point but it's um easy access i just ride my bike 15 minutes and then uh, it's such a fun place to be and, and hang out it's um where i like to spend a lot of time so i know i don't uh, blame you yeah
1: it looks awesome have you ever been uh to this area maybe maybe when i was like a little kid super young but um you know i used to play a lot of gta and like that part of gta was kind of based off of venice beach so that's like all every time i think of venice beach i think of gta
0: you'd you'd enjoy it especially the uh the muscle beach area you would uh, i feel like really uh enjoy that quite a bit
1: yeah, man. When I was a kid, you know, I just like glorified Arnold Schwarzenegger and like old school 70s bodybuilding. So Venice Muscle Beach was like the mecca. So I definitely need to make a trip there before I die.
0: And you grew up in Minnesota, right?
1: I did, yeah. Minnesota, the suburbs of Minneapolis, uh, which was hilarious because like you're 15 minutes away from the city, but then you're like five minutes away from cornfields. So it, it was pretty. Now that I grow up, I'm like, oh my God, that's a pretty interesting place to live.
0: Would you ever. Move back there, or do you see yourself kind of traveling for the rest of your life, just like staying nomadic?
1: Man, part of me really wants to. I, I would always say I'm like I'm leaving this state and I'm never coming back. Um, but like the further away from it I am, the more I realize like how integral that Midwest mentality was to my upbringing and how important it is to me. Minnesota is a special place. The people are really special. The weather's awful. It's atrocious. The winters are honestly the worst thing I've ever experienced. Uh, I still have memories, like horrible memories of like my car not starting because it's so cold. But um, I want to get a summer home up there. Everybody, like all summer, it was all about lakes. You know, there's like 11,000 lakes there. So like. Every family can have a lake, pretty much. Um, There's just a lot of houses on the lake up there. So, like, that was pretty integral to my childhood. You know, all the cousins coming up and just jet skiing, tubing, all that stuff. So I do want that. Um, My family moved out of Minnesota. I don't blame them. But um, I definitely miss it now that, like, I have nowhere to go back to.
0: Yeah, I definitely resonate with the cold. Uh, Growing up in New Hampshire, it was frigid. And it really... gives you a bit of a character, uh, a bit of an edge, but it also isn't so pleasant to, uh, yeah. to experience. It
1: also gives you a vitamin D deficiency. So um, <laughs> yeah. I'd rather not, that's, I've been living tropical for like the last two years and I don't see myself going back anytime soon. Other, for, other than for skiing, for skiing, but like that's for vacations. Like I'm not gonna move somewhere to ski.
0: Yeah, yeah. How did you end up on this? journey on this lifestyle that, that you're currently living? I feel like it's a lot of people have, have this dream and uh, as they enter the corporate world to do what you're doing, what would you say to your younger self? How did you, how did you get kind of get started on this?
1: Man, I always wanted to travel a lot. I always loved traveling. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I spent some time in Spain with a host family um, for a few summers and that was cool, uh, but I noticed I got bored like I got bored when I was there because I was there for a while You know I was there for almost the whole summer and I was like in one place You know I was with a relatively strict family and I was like, okay cool like traveling is awesome This was really cool for the first week, but I just I hated structure I always hated structure and I would hate always hated being confined um, But it was honestly when I went abroad in college I studied in Bangkok um, for a semester and that's when it kind of like like the light bulb went off. I'm like, "Oh, like this is crazy. Like going to this new environment has completely changed my perspective on the world. It's completely changed like who I am as an individual and how I see things." And I'm like I was in I was in Bangkok, but then I go to Vietnam. I spent 2 weeks in Vietnam. I'm like, "Wow, like okay, cool. My my perception of everything just expanded that much more. Same thing going to Indonesia, you know, going to all these places. I'm like, "Holy shit, like the more places I go, like the 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 more uh, like inspired I am, the more clearly I think uh, like I, I think, and the more holistic my worldview is. So I'm like, okay cool, like this is kind of like how I want to live. And after that, you know, I got back. I was going to school in Colorado at that point, and I'm like, okay, cool, I need to optimize everything for being able to live wherever and work wherever. So, you know, I was working on my own e-commerce business at the time. Um, like managing my own team, but like I, I didn't do a good job at uh, like structuring that business. So I joined a cybersecurity startup. I'm like, all right, I'm going to optimize everything for like building skills that are effective uh, remotely, right? So managing remote teams, right? Learning how to work asynchronously. And I started doing that all with the plans of moving back to Thailand after I graduated. Um, Unfortunately, COVID happened and I realized that I hated cybersecurity. And so my Thailand trip got canceled, my flight got canceled. And then I was just stuck, you know, in an industry building software, you know, that I just didn't like, like, I didn't like it all. It wasn't my personality. It kind of like turned me into a nerd. And I was like, I almost gave up, almost got a job uh, because like my flights kept on getting canceled. And then, um, yeah, I was like, screw it. And then I just came like, I was like, I know the only way that I'm going to make this happen is if I just book a ticket and figure things out afterwards. So I just started doing that, you know, like book a ticket to Peru, figure everything out afterwards, book a ticket to Mexico, figure everything out before like I land, you know, like finding apartments the day before. um, And like, it just everything worked out.
0: It's awesome. I hear that. It makes me think a few things. One is that it seems like you were taking risks, uh, like taking, taking a pretty big risk with your life, but it also seems like. You did a lot to make it more of a calculated risk like it sounds like you're really hedging hedging your, yourself ag- against potential drawbacks and, and building your skills in a way that where you could be confident in taking taking the risk knowing that it would unfold well
1: yeah it was all very calculated risks um i knew that everything i was doing was reversible and at the end of the day like i always had a plan b and they say don't have a plan B, and like you, like, fine, like, do that, like, burn the bridges you want. I feel comfortable with plan B's. Because, like, if I have a plan B, everything else is extra, right? Everything else is just fun. It's possibility. It's not, like, stress. I don't like the whole, like, grind, hustle, do this or die. Um, So, like, I always had a plan B. Like, I always budgeted enough where it's like, okay, cool. If I make no money while I go do this, I can still sustain myself at this lifestyle level for this period of time. And um, I always had like those skill sets in the back. I'm like, okay, worst case scenario, like I fail. I just go and I get like a a job selling software, you know, like a very well-paying job uh, that leverages skills that will apply to me regardless of what I do. So it's not just like the money aspect, it's the skill building aspect. Um, So yeah, I mean, I guess it was all pretty calculated.
0: You seem like a a real, real driven guy, like you've got a great self-awareness of, of, the different ways to be successful at life and, and you're really pushing from all, all fronts, all angles to be like a fully self-realized individual. Is that something you've always had within you or is it something that kind of came online later in life? Man,
1: <laughs> that's interesting. I don't know. I've always wanted, like I think my biggest fear has always been um, untapped potential, right? Like not reaching my full potential. It terrifies me. It always terrifies me. But like in terms of drive, like I'm not like goal oriented. I'm not like I want to hit this amount of you know revenue this month or like I want to hit these goals. It's kind of like I really think I just go with the flow and like do things intuitively. It's like I kind of like this is who I want to be. Let me test out things like this. You know, really just focusing on self awareness and like realizing like yeah, I guess I I wouldn't call myself driven. I'd call I'd say I'm curious honestly, I think that's what it comes down to. I wish I was more driven. I wish I was more like A-type, linear thinking, uh, goal-oriented, but I'm not. I-, I honestly just, the way that I picture it is like I just kind of wander and like figure things out on the go.
0: <laughs> that's a great way to go. Yeah, it's uh, it's powerful because it gives you sort of a more n- more natural progression as opposed to Forcing yourself down a path that may not be right for you at the end of the day. I think there's so many stories of people who went hard and then they realize when they're at the top of the ladder that the ladder was at you know, leaning against the, the wrong, wrong rooftop. And they're like, damn, why I spent, you know, all this energy climbing when I didn't even stop to think what actually lights me up.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I used to be envious of those people that could just sit down and grind, right? Like, I, I went to school originally. Uh, I was planning on going to law school, and I saw the people that I was, go, like, going to school with in undergrad, and, like, they just were okay with sitting down and reading, you know, 150 pages of the most boring legalese ever. And I would ask them, I'm like, do you enjoy this stuff? And one of my buddies, who's now in law school, and he's doing really, really well, because um, he's one of those type A guys, and I was like, do you enjoy this? He's like, no, I hate it. Like, I hate all of this stuff. I'm like, why do you do it? He's like, because I want a boat and I want a Toyota Land Cruiser. And I'm like, man, like the, the goal-oriented nature of that is just so crazy. For me, I can't do it, dude. I, I can't work on things that I'm not, not like fully interested in. And I know if I do try to work on things that I'm not 100% interested in, I'm not going to do my best. And like, that's the worst. That's like the biggest fear is like not doing your best. So um, yeah, it's, it's really not a choice for me. It's just like I physically can't.
0: Yeah, I feel that. It's it's almost impossible to actually apply my full effort to something that I don't care about. But when I do find something that I love and enjoy, it, it feels like a whole new part of me comes alive and is, is just like there and in the present and I enjoy the process and it feels like a good day as opposed to like being a servant to the machine. Yeah,
1: yeah. And you're like what's the point of doing something like if you can't do your best? I'm sure that's like probably a pretty cliche uh, saying that's probably not fully true but I think it really comes down to just identifying tasks that energize you and identifying things that drain you and I I spent a long period of time doing this where I just spent like a month and a half of like any time that I did something that either put my energy above or below baseline I documented it it's like what was I doing it was like the who what when where why like who was I doing with what was I doing when was I doing it? Where was I doing it? Why was I doing it? And then I just found like there's a bundle of tasks that makes me feel awful and it ruins the rest of my day because it like uses up all my energy. And then there's these other tasks that just light me up. Like I do them and I'm so ready to just crush the rest of the day. So I started optimizing for those tasks and I started delegating and advocating those tasks that drain me and automating them. And like, I just found my output was way higher. My stress was way lower. And like my perceived level of work on a daily basis was abysmal because I was enjoying everything that I was doing. So it was like, it's such a cheat code. Like if you can just optimize for doing stuff that you like to do.
0: Do you have a larger mission or or vision that's sort of uh, driving you forward or is it strictly 100% focused on on following that curiosity, following that energy, following that aliveness? (laughs)
1: Self exploration, man. I, I honestly just want to like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty young still too. So it's like, I honestly just want to explore more, um, you know, what's out there in the world, like what piques my interest at any given time. I used to be like very binary, all or nothing. So I was like, if I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna to have to do it for the rest of my life, and that would just leave me with like identity crises every, you know, three to six months. I'm getting into user experience design because uh, I used to design software, I used to build like SaaS, and I was like, all right, cool. Now I'm a UX designer, so I'd like go on Tinder and I'd like change my occupation to UX designer, and I like make it my whole identity. And then three months go by, I'm like, okay, cool. Like I, I went through that initial growth curve, where it's fun because I was learning really fast, and now I was in that echelon where it's like it's the grind mode. Like you have to put so much more time and effort to continue and improve. I'm like, okay, cool. Like There goes my whole identity. Um, but now it's, yeah, just like accumulating skills, um, wandering, exploring. I guess my biggest, I, I, I read this book, it was called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And that kind of changed my perspective on like passion. Because you know, when I left cybersecurity, I'm like, I'm gonna go follow my passion. And that just ended up in me like training martial arts like four hours a day and cooking, you know, two hours a day, which, Really didn't get me anywhere. I was like, yeah. oh, that sucks. But it was like, you know, don't worry about passion. Focus on building skills and career capital. So then when you do inevitably naturally fall in line with your passion, you'll have all the skills necessary to fully take advantage of it. That kind of changed my perspective. I just started focusing on building skills that I was innately good at that, you know, th- finding those things that you're good at and that you enjoy that other people don't like. Um, but sorry, that was a long winded way of saying, I think health education is like the biggest thing for me. And that's like what really gets me going. I try to identify those things that I would stay up late for, right? Cause I like getting my sleep. I've never really been one to like stay up late unless there's big deadlines. Like I've never pulled all nighters in college for studying, but like I'll stay up super late, just like researching esoteric health topics on like certain compounds like taurine or like vitamin B deficiencies. And just think about how to like best present that in a way that makes sense to the end consumer um so i'd say like that's probably my deepest passion just like helping people with their health because it's really difficult and confusing but once you understand it things just start to click and then it just becomes like second nature
0: it does absolutely i've experienced that myself where it's a lot like driving a car first you have to learn okay this is the steering wheel this is the break, this is the gas, this is where you shift. And then it's, first it's like real clunky, like, okay, this here, the, and then all of a sudden, you're just driving, and they're like, also texting and also like, eating a burrito. And it's, it's second nature completely. And on the, the health education piece, that's definitely a powerful, powerful path. I know you're already making some steps and some waves along that uh, creating some content online and, and sharing your own process of mastery of the health game. And, you know, I think Tony Robbins says some of the world's biggest problems are the, are the world's biggest opportunities. And we certainly have um, a heck of a challenge in our hands and in, in, in the health of our human family. So it's it's a certainly a powerful path to, to walk on.
1: Yeah, man, you know what I think is so beautiful about it is it can never be cracked. Like you can't solve the code for health because it's so subjective. It's so, you know, individual dependent, but also, the literature and the common, like the the like common knowledge, is changing on a daily basis, right? Like I look at some of you know the leading figures within health and nutrition, and they're like, I can't keep up. New studies are coming out every single week that are debunking like previous thought, like you know the previous uh like the previous status quo. So it's so fascinating to me because you can never get bored. And I find there's always new areas of improvement because you know, like I said, I, I get bored of things really quickly. Um, I, I wanna move on really quick. I'm okay with like dropping everything and like starting everything, but man, I've been training and I've been like fixated on health for the last decade, like literally 10 years now. And I've never gotten sick of it. Like I've never missed a week of training. I've never missed a week of like being, uh, like intuitive eating, right? Like eating for the sake of like thinking about what is this fuel that I'm giving my body. And um, I think that's important. I think that's really important like to because, like, it doesn't feel like any like, effort or work on my end. So, I'm like, okay, cool, I should probably follow that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely observed you just really, really light up there, too. It's, it's uh, palpable the passion you have for it and the energy that, that it brings to you. It's, uh, I caught a piece of that, too. And, um, where, where do you think that came from? Have you, have you experienced health challenges yourself personally, or have you observed friends or family? Go through some health challenges. Um, where do where do you think that emerged yeah. from?
1: Yeah, great great question. 100. Like, first off, I was really small as a kid. So like, everybody has core memories, and you know, so many of my core memories were like me getting pinned in wrestling by a bigger guy, or me getting like thrown around on the football field, or like me in lacrosse just being like mocked. You know, like mocked because like I couldn't do anything, and that feeling of helplessness and that feeling of, of weakness just stuck with me, and I just hit a breaking point. I was like like 14, 15 and I was like, I refuse, I refuse to like be helpless in that matter. And like, you know, it was kind of like just intuitive stoicism where it's like, what's in my control? Like, what can I actively change? I can change two things. I can change the output of like what I do with my body and the input of what I take in. So I started just getting like obsessed with like weightlifting and, and like nutrition. Like I was just pounding chicken breast and rice working out like all the time in my bedroom, like push ups and pull ups in my bedroom, you know, doing shit like that. Like just, you know, like training martial arts on like a little, a little punching bag. And um, I just became obsessed with it because it was like something that was in my control. And that was just so, such a good feeling. I was absolutely obsessed with it. I was obsessed with it, you know, all throughout high school. Went from being like a scrawny little stick to like being, looking back now, I was like, damn, like I was, I was jacked. Like I was, I was in really good shape. but I wasn't healthy. I was in good shape, but I wasn't healthy. You know, like I had a lot, I was, I was still like depressed, anxious, you know, I still like, I, uh, my primary care provider would just like douse me, Adderall, and like all these drugs, um, which I didn't take much, but like I still had those issues. Like I was not healthy. I had like really high levels of inflammation, chronic fatigue, definitely vitamin D deficiencies. Like I was still eating processed foods, you know, like just ripping protein shakes with a bunch of uh, preservatives in them. And it started to catch up to me in college. You know, that coupled with like alcohol and like all the bad things that you do in college, um, sleep deprivation and, you know, dining hall food. And it was actually a, a series of concussions that made me hyper attuned to what I was eating. You know, I got some really nasty concussions consecutively and that's when it gets bad when they're back to back. And, you know, like I found my verbal fluency was affected. My memory was heavily affected. And I just noticed like when I ate things after that, it would be so much more of an effect that like i couldn't ignore I'd eat gluten and I'd have the worst brain fog ever, right? Like I'd eat a lot of refined carbohydrates and my energy levels would be spiked and crazy. So that really made me focus in on like identifying, like not just eating for physical prowess, which is what I always did, but like focusing on the mental side of things, right? Like your brain uses up so much of the energy that you're consuming. It's something like 30% of all carbohydrates that you consume or all glucose, I guess. But um, that's when I like completely switched over to the more like uh, what, you would call it the biohacking aspect. And it just really came back down to that. It's like, okay, there's certain things in my life that I can't control. Like I feel a certain way. What can I do about it, right? What can I do about it? And the most easy application was like, I can exercise and I can eat properly. I can supplement properly. Um, now it's obviously a progression. Now it's more about lifestyle as well, because I think that's equally as important. And like digging into like the biological effects that lifestyle has on you from anything of like, you know, we always talk about it on Twitter, sun exposure, grounding, all those things equally, if not more important than the nutrition and supplementation aspect of things.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's wild to hear you talk about suffering loss of verbal fluency after getting two concussions because your verbal fluency now is really on point, like top 1%. You're just rattling off these these, these sentences that are just like... Fully formed, fully written out, like edited sentences. That um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's quite it's quite a, it's quite a stark contrast from you know suffering head trauma, which can really be debilitating uh, long term. To it seems like you've you've completely healed that, or at least um, gotten pretty close to one hundred percent.
1: Well, I appreciate that, but it's one of those things where it's a daily challenge, right? I it's because there's the uncertainty aspect of it. It's like, am I feeling loopy and unfocused? because of this concussion? Or is it because I had a bagel? Or is it because I spent too much time on TikTok, right? So it's like, yeah. part of me, I, like I think about it every day, it's like, what kind of cognitive changes happened after getting those concussions i also train a lot of martial arts so i am occasionally getting hit in the head and i notice that my threshold for brain trauma is significantly lower normally you know i could get you know rocked with a fucking bowling ball in the head and be fine but now you know i get like one crisp uppercut and i go to bed that night and like i can feel it in my eyes so it's definitely still a worry like honestly it's probably what takes up most of my mental space is like did I just get in the hit in the head again like is this going to affect me long term but to me I actually find it I find it like motivational because when I realized like okay maybe I did have some brain injury uh, some inflammation that may have damaged my brain it sent me into the deepest rabbit hole of everything neurogenesis right like how can I like how can I regenerate my brain cells how can I prevent future neurodegeneration and in doing that I think I really became more just from using my brain to dig deep into that science and literature and doing all these like brain training exercises and things like that i think my cognition improved but you never know right and i now it's like okay there's no point in dwindling over it like if it happened it happened i can just only focus on what's moving forward
0: yeah absolutely man it's now i'm just i'm contemplating how a lot of these health strategies wellness Tactics. A lot of them are rooted in sort of what what is ancient and old and ancestral. And we find ourselves in this modern world, like you said, too much time on TikTok or the the bagel. And it's like, how how the
1: (laughs) the fucking bagel.
0: But what is that all? How how the hell did we get from like cavemen, probably pretty healthy, or not not even cavemen. Uh, There's you know that's I doubt we had any ancestors who were cavemen. That would be more of like the Neanderthals who were kind of killed off by by our ancestors. We were more of like uh, just roaming nomads you know maybe maybe coast men for a while living living on the ocean but mostly kind of like native americans for for a long long time just uh living off the land eating animals and, and eating outside and now we've got to deal with like all this technology and, and crappy food like how does I, think, I feel like a lot of this comes to a, a meshing and integrating of, of an understanding between what, what's old and what's new and, and, and navigating that
1: 100 percent. yeah i definitely think we were cave dwellers at one point I mean, we were mating with Neanderthals. I've definitely got some Neanderthal in me. So, um, but yeah, net man, I think about that all the time. I always had this idea when I was a little kid that, you know, it felt right to want to live like our ancestors. I always thought about it, I'm like, man, like I don't want to be sitting behind a desk. Like I want to be roaming fields. I want to be hunting animals. Like I want to just be outside all day naked. And it was always so taboo. Like I thought I was weird for that. I thought it was just some weird figment of my imagination. I was always obsessed with evolution. I went to a Catholic school, they pretty much damn near taught create like creationism in our biology class. So when I was exposed to it, I was like, oh my God. And like when I was in Bangkok, I was primarily studying anthropology and evolutionary biology. So going out and like having, first of all, the coolest teacher ever explaining like, yo, this is why you like big breasted women. Like this is why having like a, a strong bone structure is attractive. This is why these smells make you feel this way. And I'm like, holy shit. It wasn't until I went to Peru and I spent like two weeks in the jungle, um, like doing like ceremony of sorts, that like it really clicked. I'm like, this is right, like this is correct. My hypotheses were right. It wasn't just me being stupid. So since then, you know, it's like, okay, cool. We live in a modern world. Modern problems require modern solutions. I'm going to accept that, but I do believe that the closer that I can align my lifestyle with that, that's evolutionary accurate how we're, you know, designed and engineered to live, the happier I'll be. And so far it's been spot on, you know, like from a healing standpoint in general, it's like, wow, this is right. Granted, like I said, modern problems require modern solutions. You know, there's fucking lead and aluminum in our rain. Um, There's, you know, heavy metals in our water and there's no minerals in the soil. So you need to accept that as well. So I think there's really a balance that you can make of being evolutionary accurate, but also accepting that, you know, it does require extra help. Like my supplement, like half of my suitcase is supplements, you know, supplements and herbs and all those things, because I understand that one, I have innate nutritional deficiencies because of my upbringing, right? Antibiotics as a kid, you know, diet that I had as a kid, certain drugs that I was on as a kid like those directly affect me so I need to do something about that but at the same time like me just go standing in the grass and getting in some getting some sun is going to uh, probably help me more than all those drugs combined
0: yeah it's and it's something that is free so uh, it's it's not top of mind for a lot of people because they aren't being there's no advertisement on TikTok that's saying hey have you gone out into this (laughs) sunshine today and uh, gotten gotten any of that healing energy because if not, you should. It's 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 pretty good stuff. Yeah,
1: man, we are so wired to think that anything that works has to cost a lot of money. You know, it's just consumerism. That's just how we think because anybody, like, everybody's skeptical of convenience. Everybody's skeptical of, like, things that work too quickly, that make too much sense. Like, okay, no way. You're telling me that, like, if I if I, you know, don't eat anything that it's going to make me feel better, you know, in terms of fasting? It's like, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, how we say this, I've tweeted this probably like 30 times, but like all the best like biohacks, I use those in parentheses because I think it's kind of a cliche term, they're free, right? Like cold exposure, heat exposure, zone two cardio, sun exposure, grounding, you know, the list goes on, not eating. Like most of these biohacks will save you money and you know that's why i think especially the it, you have two options you can either just go and try to live as evolutionary accurate as possible go move somewhere where you have constant exposure to nature you're getting all three spectrums of sunlight constant sun exposure like go shower in the ocean Or you can live in a city and spend thousands and thousands of dollars for all these really advanced tools that just replicate what you'd be getting in nature anyway, right? Like grounding mats, red light therapy, you know, all of these water filtration systems. So I think about that all the time because I want all of these new tools. I want all of these biohacking tools. And I'm like, or I could just go like live on the beach for a little bit.
0: Yeah, it is crazy how a lot of these really expensive biohacking tools. And that's a fascinating term as well. word hack sort of implies that like we're using this thing kind of like not in the way that it's supposed to be used when another way we're bio harnessing or like bioharmonizing. Yeah, it's, it's an important, it's words are so important the way that they're framed. I feel like health, just the whole concept of health often gets a bad rap for being lame, something that is requiring sacrifice when I think you and I both know that's, that's not the case. And sort of this like secret that's being shared and it's growing in volume
1: yeah, 100 percent. I think in terms of uh, like semantics, yeah, biohacking does have a negative connotation for reasons. You know, you have all these holistic health people are like, it's not hacking, it's it's optimizing. I like what you say, bioharmonization. Um, I don't know, for me, it's just like what I've used uh, for the longest time. I used to be really big into nootropics, still am, but more from a research standpoint. I don't really leverage them just because like anything with a strong biological effect is likely going to have a strong biological fa- effect on a different pathway that you don't anticipate. So like, for example, is a perfect example. I think initially it was used for like uh blood pressure and then they started administering it and like oh shit like this makes people really hairy you know like methylene blue one of the most potent um synthetic nootropics it was initially used to like clean um like scuba tanks or like fish tanks so like i'm just going to say like yeah potent potent substances usually have a downstream negative effect but um yeah I, i like Biooptimization is probably more accurate. Bio-harmonization sounds really cool.
0: Wasn't Viagra one too where it was maybe for like blood thinning or something and then are just like, whoa, this guy's got a wild boner.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's always how it is, dude. Like all of the best drugs that are like most effective usually weren't started like for that reason. It was usually something completely different. Like, yo, <laughs> I've been hard for like four hours, bro. Like what's up with this, my blood? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's hilarious. Pharmaceuticals are terrifying.
0: Yeah yeah they are those uh it's it's sort of like the, the opposite of a lot of what we're talking about in, in in many ways where it's like well i'm gonna charge you a lot of money to take this solution that'll be quicker and more convenient i promise don't don't even look at this five page side effect sheet don't and don't even think about that look there are people playing in a field whisper and then they're whispering oh by the way you may have suicidal thoughts <laughs> and, uh, yeah. it's terrible
1: it's crazy. And it's crazy how we're just habituated to scrolling past that part. Cause every single football game, it's like 30%, 30 to 70% of the commercials are for pharmaceuticals. And we don't even bat an eye. It's like, cool, like way to go. Wellbutrin will make you happy. It also might make you want to kill yourself. And it's just like some lady holding a kid. Like it, it's baffling. Um, yeah, Big Pharma sucks. I, I personally am like a, a victim. I'm not gonna say a victim. I was affected by Big Pharma, right? Like a primary care provider that was literally just dishing me out drugs that I didn't need for no reason. She had no idea what they were. I remember it very vividly. Like she'd give me fucking like prescription meth, which is amphetamine salts. It's almost molecularly identical to meth. And then she's like, how are you sleeping? And I wasn't really even taking it. I'm like, yeah, I'm sleeping fine. She's like, okay, cool. I'm gonna prescribe you some beta blockers anyway, in case you need them to sleep. And like giving all of these to a kid during their adolescence, well, their brain is still developing, you know? Like our brains develop pretty late into our, our 20s and even past that. And like giving drugs that literally alter your neurochemistry um, is so fucked up. So yeah, I think that's like, if I have one gripe, if I have one like burning hatred, it's towards like the modern medicine system. I'm not saying, like, don't take antibiotics if you have a life-threatening staph infection. Do that. Just, like, make it a last line of defense. No one said, like, hey, maybe you should just go play more sports, go outside more, and maybe not spend your entire winters in, you know, the Arctic tundra, where you get, like, three hours of sunlight a day. You know, that was never a question. And I was still eating, you know, Uncrustables and Pop-Tarts for breakfast. And I was like, you guys suck. (laughs) So, yeah, I I have some gripes, but I digress.
0: Yeah, for the the right reasons and... Um, unfortunately i think something like 100 to 200 million americans are on at least one prescription if not more and aren't even aware of these consequences and they just get more prescriptions more prescriptions just like just like you said these people are just popping out popping out scripts and um aren't really thinking about the consequences and um yeah it's it's really important that we get the word out that we raise awareness about these these better alternatives because they really are better in in every way.
1: Yeah, and what you mentioned earlier about health being boring, I think that's the biggest problem because we have to look at what other alternatives are we up against in terms of content. You know, like I I run a marketing agency. I think of everything from a marketing standpoint. I've been doing marketing for like six years. So like understanding how to grab people's attention, right? Um, It's really tough to do. It's, It's tough because you're up against like a lot of like sexual innuendos all the time, like all these things that are just hacking your body's, like your brain's natural pathways. So it's like, oh, cool, like you know, some some chick dancing, or it's like, oh, some dude like fail blogging and like getting hit by a car, or, like some like kitten videos. Those are really tough to compete against. When we're talking about like mitochondrial dysfunction or like why you should have taurine, and the issue is because nutrition is so complex, because health in general is so complex. The people who really know their shit are usually lab rats, right? They have you know, multiple degrees, they've spent all their time researching. When you spend all that time researching, your brain starts thinking in those very complex, in that very complex vernacular. So you really only know how to explain that to other people at that level of education. I think the real challenge and the real opportunity and the real solution to health education is to make it sexy, is to make it enticing to make it better than, like, chicks dancing on TikTok or cat videos. And that comes down to marketing. That comes down to taking these complex technical features and conveying them as benefits to the end consumer in a way that's entertaining, informative, and convincing. So, like, me, you know, I used to work at Threat Intelligence. Sounds super cool on paper. I thought it was cool when I was in college. It's really not that cool. Like, it's so boring. It's so overly technical. But I was building a product that was meant for like high level IT directors. So I needed to find a way to convey all that highly technical information as end feature benefits. And it's really the same formula for health. It really is like hacking in cybersecurity sense and biohacking in like the health sense,
0: quite similar. Yeah, it is, it is interesting to think about, especially over, over time. I remember growing up, like you mentioned earlier, chicken breast and rice was the way and, and sort of the health promoters were more of like, I guess they had like kind of hippie vibes where they're sort of like, you know, like, yeah, be one with the earth and be healthy, man. And, you know, uh, don't eat red meat. And that was sort of like the, the kind of the, the idea. Now you've got the liver king on, on TikTok uh, shirtless, just like lifting weights and eating like a raw liver. And it, it's so funny how much it has, has changed um, with, with the times and, and with our scarce attention and um, I don't know where, where it's going to go from here, but hopefully, I mean, I, I don't know if that's good or bad to have people just like shirtless and shoeless, like eating raw meat in public. I, I'm not sure if that turns more people off than it turns them on, but it certainly has an impact. Uh, it certainly grabs it's, attention.
1: It's definitely polarizing, and a lot of these people are charlatans. You know, I think Liver King, for example, he brings up a lot of great points. I think his core tenets of like whatever the primal lifestyle. Yeah, they're pretty on point, but he also obviously does PEDs and he's probably the least charming person I've ever heard talk. I listen to him talk, I'm like, dude, what, like, I I don't know if he got hit in the head a lot as a kid or what, but um, I just listen to him talk, I'm like, this is so unenticing to me. But yeah, I mean, like, these guys know marketing, they know that polarization works, and I think the most important thing is, like, any engagement is good engagement in the beginning. Any exposure is good exposure, because it's gonna get people attuned to the idea. They may not agree with it, but at least it's on their radar. So they're gonna be able to start like chewing on it in their head, considering it, next time they see liver at the store, they're gonna think of Liver King or Paul Saladino, and they'll be like, all right, those guys are fucking crazy. Maybe I'll try this, but I think most importantly is this idea of Overton's window, right? It's used a lot in politics where it's like, I'm gonna say something super extreme and go super crazy just to like move the status quo and the idea of normalcy a little bit further up. So like if Liver King says, don't eat any vegetables, eat raw liver, like live outside, don't wear any sunscreen, never shower, smell like dog shit all the time, do all these things, they're gonna be like, that's crazy. I'm not gonna do that, but maybe I'll have a little bit more grass-fed beef for my next meal. Right. So they that's obviously crazy. That's obviously over the top, but it makes those other key points that he talks about a little bit less crazy. It's like, all right, no, no, no. Like, I'm definitely going to shave my balls like I'm going to use shampoo still and I'm probably going to wear sunscreen. But and I'm also going to sleep on a bed, but maybe I'll turn my Wi-Fi router off tonight. So it, it gets people attuned to the idea and it makes like these small nuggets less crazy.
0: Yeah, politicians are are doing this every, it seems like every election cycle, they just get zanier and zanier, crazier and crazier with like more bombastic ideas. And they're just like shifting the narrative and, and polarizing um, the people and it, the same similar thing is happening with with the diet world where like, it seems like vegans are getting crazier and crazier. And then also like, sort of the, the carnivore movement has arisen as sort of like a, a counterbalance to that. And um, yeah, it's pretty wild to see the, the spectrum of, of different options within, within the movement?
1: Yeah, you know, it's horrible. I think it's one of the worst things about humanity that moderation does not get publicity. Nobody wants to hear a moderate. Nobody wants to say, yeah, you know, there's benefits of plants and there's benefits of meat. Everybody wants extremists. Everybody listens to extremists. And I think a lot of it is also like idealism. It's ideologues. People looking for an identity, finding it, and then putting their entire self-worth into it. Right, Like that's with vegans. Vegans are applauded by their community for being vegan, for making that their entire identity, for wearing shirts like, you know, some bullshit shirt talking about like their veganism. I think that's stupid. I think it's so stupid to tie your identity to some activity or some diet, especially, because now if you become exposed to new information that goes against that, you have to deal with that situation of like, do I want to trust this information that I know is true and that I have, you know, (laughs) that like the study shows that you know, this is the case or do I want to follow my identity? Right? There's a lot of cases of vegans who become exposed to new information or try out new diets, they're like, hey listen, I started incorporating salmon in my diet and I feel like a million bucks. Like All of these issues that I had are gone. They do that and they get you know, excommunicated by that community um, or they follow the science. So yeah, I, man, I'm so not about like making your diet your identity. I eat a lot of meat and fruit now, but I'm constantly experimenting. I don't think that my health is ideal. I've been incorporating certain vegetables for their, you know, therapeutic purposes. I consume a lot of herbs, tea all the time, coffee. Um, but none of that's my identity. I could very much see myself going a month like not eating meat just to try it out.
0: Yeah, that's it's so important. I wish wish more people would emulate emulate what you're doing with that where you're just, just trying things out. You don't gotta hold on to these beliefs so hard and and, and you don't have to white knuckle your beliefs you know it's so helpful to try different things and and see where it leads be more curious you know leading with with curiosity first versus like no i know i know everything and i'm going to tell you what i know because um it's important and it's like whoa relax take it take take a breather there's a there's a lot going on here
1: it's tough man it's tough because everybody has identity crises Everybody's looking for an identity. That's why religion's so enticing. I used to be like pretty, I, I grew up you know like in between two religions. you know, my mom's Persian, my dad's German, so like Catholic and like some small like mountain religion from from Iran. Um, so I was like in between them, I was never really part of either of them. and it always made me like want to be part of one. Because there was like such a huge identity aspect, right? Like Sunday school, like having this community. And then I got like really uh, sour towards it after going to like a Catholic school. But like once I got out, I'm like, oh, like this makes total sense. Like it's so great and so much easier to go through life with a sense of identity and a sense of like moral scaffolding. And I think like some people extrapolate that to diet as well. I mean, even CrossFit, like CrossFit, CrossFitting is a religion. It's people who like ex-athletes that lost their identity because they played, you know, football in college and now they're doing nothing, you know, working um, a nine to five. And like they take CrossFit as like their new, their new identity, their new religion.
0: Yeah, identity is everything when it comes to, to habit change as well. It's such a, a keystone way to, to become a different person, to up level your habits, is is not to be like, I'm I'm not smoking cigarettes. He's like, No, I don't smoke cigarettes. Like I'm not a person that smokes cigarettes. It's not like a intermediary thing. It's like, no, this is me. This is me, this is who I am. And then like so much action kind of stems from that.
1: Yeah, that's such an effective tool. I, I use it all the time and it's like pretty crazy because it just incorporates so many aspects, right? Like the, you say that to someone and then now you have uh, like social pressure, social pressure to like avoid cognitive dissonance, which everybody hates. Um, yeah, it's, it's super effective. I got to start using that more.
0: What do you think about your life up to this point? Do you feel like you are maximizing your potential or do you, do you fear that you're leaving some potential on the table?
1: Definitely not. Definitely not maximizing my potential at all. Um, definitely need to be doing more. Um, and like, I, I put it off. Um, yeah, no, definitely not. Definitely not maximizing my potential.
0: Wow. Why, Absolutely why you, not. Why do you think that is?
1: I know I could be doing more. Like I know, I've had glimpses of when I was on Like when I was really on top of my shit and I was like dialed in to what I was doing and I was a hundred percent in and I was unbeatable, man. Like I could do anything. I literally accomplished everything that I, I, I wanted and like I grew so quickly in such a short period of time. I'm not at that point right now. Like I'm I see complacency. I see complacency and I see untapped potential in my daily routines and my daily habits. And I know it all stems down to my systems, right? Like I'm not goal oriented. I believe like you don't rise to the levels of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. It's all about that identity. I'm not taking advantage of that identity, like of of who I could be, of who I know I could be and who I've been in the past. So that's what I'm really working on. And it's tough. It's easier said than done.
0: Yeah, yeah, I feel that. It's, it's, It's like this gnawing, for me at least it feels like this gnawing in the background that's like no you could you could do more here you could do a little bit better and it's just like I'm I'm trying but then it's like are you trying it's like <laughs> where, where's that like what are you trying to do and like where's that switch to turn on it's it's such a fascinating sort of inner game um at least that that part of life is is I'm so fascinated by it
1: Yeah me too I mean like that's really like I'm I'm a very extroverted person. I spend a lot, like I love talking, I love personalizing, but like most of my day is just spent with that internal dialogue of like you're not doing enough. Like you're not doing it right. And I know it's true. And people go, like, oh, "Don't be so hard on yourself." I'm like, "I'm not being hard on myself. I know this is true." Like uh, if if someone were to follow my day, they'd be like, "Dude, what are you doing? Like you are not taking advantage of the opportunities in front of you." And man, that just makes it so much worse cuz like if your biggest fear is not reaching your potential, not getting to that level of self-actualization, and then you're presented with these opportunities and you don't take them, then it's like really like what are you doing? I genuinely believe for me it comes down to like not enough alignment. I do believe that I've been getting closer to alignment, right? Um, I'm not the type of guy that can have work-life balance. I can't do work in one aspect and then go live another life. Like they have to be completely aligned. You know, like I work I do my best work on weekends. I spend all weekends working because that's when I do the best like I have no, I have no work-life balance. Like I can't, it's not going to be the way that I'm going to achieve my full potential. So I really just think it comes down to alignment. And, um, maybe I like, I think every time that happens to me, I just like get up and reset. I'll go move somewhere else. I'll like, you know, switch up my, uh, whatever business model I'm running. Um, so I think it might be time for that.
0: Where are you headed next?
1: Puerto Moral. Actually, wait, I'm not going to dox where I'm saying uh, (laughs) a small fishing, a small fishing village (laughs) in Mexico. Um, yeah, so
0: awesome. If I'm thinking of the, the same place that, that you're headed, that's a beautiful place. Have have you been there before? Is this the first time that you've that you've gone?
1: I've been there. I haven't lived there. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be the solution, but I do know that like a new pers- like moving to a new place is the best way to start new habits, to build a new routine because it's uncomfortable. Everything's uncomfortable, everything is new. And when things are uncomfortable as a baseline, doing other things that are uncomfortable or abnormal are really pretty easy because you have no, like, it's, it's tabula rasa, it's blank slate. It's a lot harder to start a new habit when you're in the same apartment you've been in for the last six months, right? It's a lot harder to start building a reading habit on the couch that you watch TV on. So, like, if you move to a new place, new people, new environment, new you, Get a new haircut, right? Put on some new clothes. It's a lot easier to like change up your routines, your habits, and your identity.
0: Yeah, pulling up pulling up the roots, getting getting yourself in a new plot and then just feeling out feeling out where where are the real nutrients in life? Where 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 are the life ways that are really gonna be nourishing me, who I am in this moment, and, and who I wanna become, not who I have been, and, and kind of killing off that old Noah, uh, the the old self that had been like holding holding it back. It's, it's such a difficult thing to do, but also it's doable. It's hundred percent doable.
1: It's so difficult. It's so difficult. And like, there's people that can do it without, like, it's so much easier to change your external environment than it is to change your internal psyche. Right. So like, that's why I started this whole travel thing is because like, it's really easy to change who you are when you go up and move to like a new place, new culture, new identity, new language you know, like change your name, right? Like I'll, I'll probably move there and I'll go by like Filiberto or something. And like, it's so much easier <laughs> to change it. Like grow a mustache. Like you, know, like I said, get a new haircut. And uh, it's so much easier, so much easier.
0: It sounds like you're using travel as a biohack.
1: It is. Like it is the biggest life hack for me because anytime that I get complacent or I don't like the habits that I'm building, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm just going to go move somewhere for three weeks. right? I'm going to go move somewhere for a month. I'm just going to like try. It's like I don't see it as like changing my identity. I see it as just trying out a new way of living. Like I'm gonna try to be this type of person this month, right, so like who do I wanna be? And I'll just write down like, okay, cool. Like I wanna really be like a, a really hard worker this month. I want to be super regimented, I want to be very composed, I want to be very stoic, so I'll be this person this month, and then I'll try it at the end, I'm like, okay, cool, here's the things that I liked about that, that I can incorporate, it's like more of my habits and my overall identity, here's the things that didn't work so well. Next week, it's like, all right, I'm just going to go fully loose this week, like I'm going to be that guy that like, you know, like talks to everyone, meets everybody, like says yes to every social opportunity, and just like very easygoing. Um, and then I'll just like identify what worked with that and what didn't. So that's what I try and like the best way to do that is just like going to a new place.
0: Traveling is a real burst of novelty, which can be a catalyst for neurogenesis too, right? You're just developing all these new neural pathways, rewriting old ones, pruning and, and, and growing and blooming. And you m- you must feel that at like a cellular level, you just feel alive. I
1: do, man. I love that you say that. And I think, you know, you talk about a lot, a lot with training, right, because it's the same thing with training. You have to switch it up. Your body and brain is really, really good at acclimating to whatever environment you're, whatever environment you're in. It's going to get super efficient. And it's like, okay, cool. I'm good here. I don't need to grow anymore. I don't need to like expend extra biological energy to improve. When you go to a new place, like you feel it, man. Like I feel it. I feel it in the way that I light up with my environment. Like my eyes open up. I'm so much more creative. I'm so much more driven. I'm just so much more ambitious because it's like, novelty stimulation like that's what humans need that's what humans evolved to to desire for survival right like we evolved like to be nomadic, to move to new environments. I think that's why we became like the most dominant species on the planet, is because we were like the monkeys that were brave enough to go and go check out the Sahara. Because we're like, all right, there's not enough food here. There's too much competition. Let's go over here and check out what's over there. So we're really good at adapting. That's what helped us grow. That's what helped us evolve and become who we are today. So we need a rep. I believe that we need to replicate that, and that's why I like the whole nomadic living. I don't think it's sustainable entirely. I do want to settle down eventually. But, you know, for the next few years, I think nom- nomadicism is the way to go.
0: Awesome. And I'm really looking forward to, to following along with what you're sharing as you as you go through that journey, as, as you go through that process. It's been awesome hearing you talk about your process with adaptation and, and evolution and, and experiencing these these different areas of, of life and, and, and the world. And, man, it's... Uh, It's a powerful story and I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Yeah, Case, this was awesome, man. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, I enjoyed this conversation. You asked really great questions. So props to you for that, for sure. And we should definitely do this again. I'm looking forward to following along with your future interviews.
0: Thanks, man. We would definitely run this back.